So let me start by saying this. I know why most of you are here. I know why most of you listen to the show, especially those of you who want to get in the film business. You're here because you're looking for a way in, right? You're looking for an angle in. You're looking for a system, a process, a method that will lead you to success, that will lead you to the point when you can finally, confidently feel like you've made it, that you have become a director or a screenwriter or an actor, right? You're looking for a way to tamper the imposter syndrome that you're feeling. You're looking for some nuggets, some hints, some ways to get through, to cheat the system, to make it. Well, I've always said since the beginning of this show that there is no system. There's no set path. There's no steps you should follow to be successful. And I tell you this from personal real-time experience. And uh, that's what I try to give all of you, all the girls listening, all the guys listening to the show. My real-time experience as I experience these things, and I've been directing now, and I've been calling myself a director. I have been fighting the imposter syndrome for 20 years, over 20 years at this point. And I'm finally starting to feel the effects, right? Finally starting to inch my way forward. And for each success that we get, we're thrust two steps back, right? And then we push forward again. It's that game consistently. It's all true. All that's true, right? It's a game of longevity. It's a game of mental health. It's a game of empathy and understanding and sharing. These are the skills. And I'm excited that you're here today. Welcome to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. Come on and grab a seat. Grab a beer if you want a beer. If you're not a beer drinker, I think I got some wine in the cabinet. What do you want? White or red? How are you? Are you ready for the holidays? Have you been dieting so that you can feast for two days? Uh, happy Hanukkah. Happy Merry Christmas. Kwanzaa. Whatever it is that you love. Uh, names to me or definitions of why we do these holidays is less important as it is to spend time with people, family and friends, to get together, to break bread, to make food, to share things, to give gifts, to get gifts. Happy holidays, everybody. Welcome. And uh, I'm excited that you're here because I can confidently say that today's episode is the best episode that we have ever done on screenwriting. Now, if you're here to learn techniques, right? If you want to you want to learn how to build a character, you want to talk about three-act story structure, you want to you want to get into the hero's journey, you want to get into all the nitty-gritty of screenplay writing, this isn't the episode for you. And you can take yourself and go read those books and go get lost in the nerdiness of all that and become very successful at writing your own screenplays that you and your friends read right? And you can wait around, waiting for an agent or manager to call you up because that's the only way into this business. And you can continue to fall back on all these myths that we have come to believe as people on the outside looking in, wondering like, how the fuck did they get in there, right? Then we create all these stories. We create these myths. Then so many of us 
that aren't working and so many folks that aren't working then go on to become teachers. <laughs> and then they continue to teach you these myths, right? Story structure and all this stuff, which is incredibly important. Those are important skills to have. If you're a chef in the kitchen, you got to learn how to control your heat, right? You got to learn how to fry an egg correctly. You got to learn how to split a chicken. Those are important techniques. Those are things that you need once you get to the doorway. But how the fuck do you get into the kitchen? Right? That's the question. I know it. I can see it. I can smell it on all of you listening right now. How do I make it? How do I get there? And I'll tell you this. I'm not going to give you an answer on the show that is going to get you there. But what we're going to do on today's episode is we're going to open your brain a bit. We're going to open up your mind into thinking about other avenues, other things that are actually a lot more important, topics that aren't sexy enough for me to create a YouTube video about. But these things are what consistently get me work, consistently have saved my career, consistently have kept the longevity there. This is the stuff that we're going to talk about on the show. I'm excited. I'm joined by Chris Riley. He's a Los Angeles-based screenwriter, director, producer, and author. He's made multiple films. Uh, more importantly, he has been a um, uh, uh, not a proofreader, but he's the first step. He has been the first stage in in reading screenplays for Warner Brothers. He's been in the uh, screenwriting department at Warner Brothers. Uh, he was a proofer. He would read scripts before it would go to uh, the execs. He was the first line of defense on so many ideas, so many screenplays. We talk a little bit about the things that he saw with successful screenplays, the terrible things he saw with unsuccessful screenplays, the things that he uh, would note that would keep your work from getting to the top. We talk a little bit about that. I guess that's the granular stuff that we get into. But more importantly, we go even further into the defining moment. And he has written a book. That's why he's here. He's promoting a book called The Defining Moment, How Writers and Actors Build Characters. We touch upon that. But more importantly, him and I get lost in the core emotional elements of what we do. And I know this is a good episode because I had one of those sort of brain... You'll hear it. You'll hear it when my, my suddenly like a rusty old door in my brain opens and I go, fuck. And there's this breeze of inspiration that rolls through my head and I go, I, I, yes, that's what I should be doing. I have one of those discoveries during this episode. So I know you guys are going to too. I made a whole bunch of notes. And I'm kind of exhausted today. I'm like, please remember this. Please remember this. <laughs> so I would highly suggest you get a pen and paper or you start to make notes on your phone, whatever you do, because there's some wisdom that comes down on this episode and it makes doing this show worth it. It makes listening to the show worth it. I want to thank everybody that follows me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and follows the podcast on Instagram at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D. Um, I hope, I think I may still have some t-shirts available for you guys and girls, uh, but I know our pre-sale is done. We'll see what we have left. Hopefully you got your hands on a podcast t-shirt. 
one of my uh, hand-sketched illustrated uh, storyboard shirts. I think I'm probably going to have a collection of them here. So if you didn't, I may have some. You can always reach out to me and see if you can pick one up. Um, and uh, the crazy success of my short film, 12 Kilometers, continues. Holy shit. It's like it, when it can't go viral more. It's nuts, man. It's an interesting study in, um, you know, psychology, that whole thing that happened. And uh, if you guys don't know about them, I'm not going to get into it. I've talked about it way too much on multiple shows. If you guys want to hear more about it, go back a couple episodes. But it, things are still going great. Um, and uh, a lot of really interesting things have come about it. So I can't wait to hopefully talk about it sometime. We'll see. Um, but let me not draw this out, man. Let me not draw this out because this is such a great conversation. I just finished it. And I'm excited for you guys um, to learn more. So this is, a, this is a great episode for you. Strap yourselves in. Crank up those noise-canceling headphones. Get yourself up to eleven. We'll we'll throw some music tracks in here, and we'll make it we'll make it an experience, the experience that you expect. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of the Mobile the Process. Chris, thanks for being on the show. How are you, bud? I'm doing well. It's good to be with you, Mike. I'm happy you're here, man. It took us a little while to make this uh, work, and uh, I know my listeners are very excited to hear from you. So um, thanks for taking the time, dude. Oh, I've been looking forward to this. I um, love having conversations uh, with people who care about the same filmmaking kinds of things I care about. Well, you've come to the right place because we're obsessed here. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Probably too obsessed. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I don't know how much you know about the show, but um, a majority of our listeners are young filmmakers. A lot of our listeners are young screenplay writers, and uh, I myself am a director. I've been directing for about 20 years, so uh, we'll probably get a little granular and uh, you know dig into some of the deeper questions about stuff, uh, so... Hope you're ready. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, geeking out about stuff that um, only we care about. <laughs> this is the place. This is a safe place for that. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, let me just sort of start at the beginning here, just to, to catch up some of our listeners that may not know your work. Um, how did you get started in the business? Did you get started uh, as a proof? As a proofer in the script in the screenwriting department, like how'd you get in? Yeah, I my intent was to become a screenwriter, and the first job I got was as a script proofreader at Warner Brothers in their script uh -huh. processing department, and uh, so I was reading 
scripts all day long every day, which was the best possible education for a, an aspiring screenwriter. Why do you say that? What 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 was what were you learning by reading scripts that you weren't learning at home by reading books? Wow. So I was reading both good scripts and bad scripts. And from the bad ones, you learn the cliches and, uh, you know, what a, what a note sounds like when it's off key. And from the good ones, man, I was just, I think by osmosis absorbing, this is how you write dialogue. This is how you lay out an action sequence on the page. This is what comedy looks like on the page and then I could compare that to say an episode of um, oh Murphy Brown which was a very funny show yeah. I would you know I would read that and kind of see how funny that was on the page and then you'd watch it you'd see what the actors contributed and all of that was just so helpful in calibrating what good screenwriting looks like See, okay, you've, you've said a lot of really interesting things, and I want to unpack already. I want to unpack a few things. Um, so I liked your comment there, where it's like slightly off key, which is, it makes a lot of sense. And then I think when you're when you start describing things like what does comedy look like on the page, and what does this stuff look like on the page, it took me a while to realize, and it wasn't until I started to work with professional screenwriters, it took me a while to realize that there are different stages to a film. And if you're writing uh, a film on the page, it isn't necessarily to completely translate what the movie's going to look like. It's to make the read enjoyable for the people that have to read the script uh, ahead of time and be inspired by that script and go through the process. So there is a whole talent that I think a lot of people, I think when you're younger, you're like, hey, look, I want to write a great movie and I want that movie to be translated on the page. And it's like, yeah, that's part of it. But you're also writing like an entertaining read for the execs to read it, correct? That's exactly right. I mean, there are uh, people who have their weekend read. So executives get assigned a whole stack of scripts that they have to read over the weekend. Um, Interns who are writing coverage on scripts that come into their production companies are reading stacks of scripts and having to write coverage. They are your first audience. They're your first reader. And you want to first entertain them and capture their imagination. You don't want them to look at your script and kind of groan because it looks like it's going to be a slog and you you don't want them to start off in a bad mood. (laughs) Okay. So many things I want to talk about. So uh, when you talk about um, just so the listeners understand, when you talk about um, their interns doing coverage, what is the process of coverage? What, what, what is, how would you define that? So, So many scripts come into studios and production companies to directors, to actors. They can't read them all themselves. And so they have people on staff, starting with interns, who who are a, a filter for what should get the attention then of whoever the principal is in the office. And so they read the script and then they write a Uh, a synopsis or a summary of the storyline and the characters. But importantly, they also add their comment and their recommendation. Mm. Should we pass on this? Meaning uh, nobody else needs to read this. Should we consider this? Meaning my boss ought to read this. Or 
am I recommending this? Mm. And uh, typically, about 90% of things get passed on at that first level. Uh, maybe 7 or 8% are consider. And then 1% to 2 to 3%. Uh, the reader will go out on a limb and stake their reputation on it and say, I recommend this. We need to really take this seriously. I think this is a project that might be a good business for our company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, it's, a, a lot of folks don't realize that the, the different stages of that, because then you're, that script then is then going to oftentimes junior execs, and then it also has to work its way up through the structure. So what you're writing has to this is fascinating. What you're writing has to be not only entertaining, but also uh, it's weird, right? Because you don't want to be writing something that's broadly entertaining. You want to still have your voice, but it's still a, a crapshoot at, at a certain point and whether or not you're going to be uh, connecting with these folks, you know? Well, yeah. So people's taste comes into it, a company's uh, mandate or what they are looking to do, all of that figures into it. And the artistry of, you know, are we casting a spell? Are we creating <laughs> this dreamlike experience for the reader that we eventually hope to create for somebody sitting in a theater or sitting at home watching this movie or this television episode on the screen? Mm-hmm. So here's here's some questions for you then. When you were doing the proofing, when you were going through the process of this, what are the huge red flags for you? What are the things that stick out immediately and you're like, you don't get past page 10? <laughs> wow. So um, uh, there, there are so many, but, uh, <laughs> you know, um, the fundamentals of getting uh, the format right, which is why I eventually took what I had learned uh, working in the script department at Warner Brothers and put it in a book, The Hollywood Standard, so that uh, every writer would have access to just the the basics of what a professionally formatted script looks like. Beyond that, it's uh, are the pages too densely packed with words? Mm-hmm. Uh, writing a screenplay is not like writing a novel, and there's a lot of white space on a well-written uh, script page. There's also, you know, the quality of the dialogue. Uh, are there typos? Man, I do not want to encounter typos on page one. It just kills my confidence in in the writer. I, sometimes I feel like I care more about the script than the writer does, and that's not a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and then page one, the top of page one really has to grab me, intrigue me with with something. And, uh, you know, a film, and you talked about the difference between as we go through the process, a film has you in the theater. You're not going to walk out in the first 60 seconds if there is a uh, sort of a moody mm-hmm. <laughs> descent into the world of the film. But you can't spend the first page of a script doing that. You have to get your hooks into the reader. And I like to do that not by the bottom of page one, but I'm looking for something at the top of page one that says, you better pay attention to me. You dare not look away. And then by the bottom of page one, uh, I am going to make you turn that page. Uh, uh, 
a well-written script does that. Well, at the risk of putting you on the spot, is there a script that uh, comes to mind that, that really captivated? Like, is this a great example of this? Is there one that still sticks with you? you uh, that's an interesting question. I, I think of that with, uh, you know, I've got some scripts that I show uh, students when I'm trying to help them understand this. Um, some of those written by um, other, other students. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the writer Amy Snow, who was a student of mine years ago. She went on uh, shortly after that to win the ABC Disney Fellowship oh, cool. and um, has had uh, films produced. But the script that won the ABC Disney Fellowship had a great first page that that presents us a a little girl uh, whose father is a senator and uh, has just announced his uh, campaign for the presidency and she's asked if she would like to be a senator someday and she announces no i i want to be president <laughs> and before the bottom of page 1 her father's assassinated in front of her oh my god Okay. That that's literally a killer first page. Yeah. You have to turn the page to find out what happens to this girl. Yeah. 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 I mean it's ultimately that's a cold open, right? That's that, that's the process of yes. of grabbing the audience by the throat instantly within within 3 minutes, really. And then just running through it. It's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool to think of it that way. Um I yes, and it's often um you know, sometimes it's a really intriguing visual, but often it's a fascinating character. And I, when, whenever I am in doubt, I go straight to character because I agree with the writer uh, Egri in that classic, The Art of Dramatic Writing, mm -hmm. where he says the most interesting material we have to deal with as dramatists is character. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah, it's fascinating. And in a world currently where you know we have leaned so heavily on spectacle and we've leaned so heavily on like special effects and all that kind of stuff it really just do does come all the way back down to like who's the actor how are they emoting and what's the character and that is the thing that connects everybody to you know like these superhero giant fucking epics i mean it's really that character study at the end of the day which ultimately ends up being the least expensive thing to shoot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. If you can have people in front of the camera feeling feelings and talking to each other, and we care, yeah, uh, yeah, that's that is cheaper. The you know, I, I love a good car chase, but I only care about the car chase if I care about who's in the car. It's true. It's very true. It's very true. Okay, so yeah, talk about a great way in, right? So you're you're getting to. To, to see the greats write scripts, but then you're also seeing mistakes. And so you must have really been putting together your toolkit at that point. Were you, uh, was it invigorating to, to go through that entire process, like to sort of getting access to all that? It, that was exciting. Uh, you know, and it was exciting to be on the lot. Uh, yes. I was on the lot when they were shooting uh, the first Batman films. And I, I stood there watching the Batmobile, you know, squeal around a corner on a street of Gotham. And then a 
bunch of crew people hand push the car back into position. (laughs) And one guy's entire job is to have a little cloth and polish the handprints off the car before the next take. Um, That to me was thrilling. And I thought, I know I'll go to jail if I steal the Batmobile, but um, <laughs> take it for a joy ride down Hollywood Boulevard. But, you know, I think it would be worth it. I just saw it recently. It's over at the Peterson. It's at the Peterson Automotive Museum. And I just went in there oh, and, fantastic. and saw the thing. And it's like, wow, it's still pretty epic. It's a, it's an epic looking vehicle the way they built it out. It's really cool. Um, yeah, Warner's Lot. I've been on there a few times and it's so it's one of my favorite places. It just feels so rich with history. And it feels so, it still feels very old Hollywood to me when you walk on that lot. It's a very romantic lot, you know? I Yes. I, I loved being there. I loved walking around the lot. And sometimes you'd go to the commissary and um, you would see actors and extras all made up with all kinds of um, <laughs> of sores on their faces and, you know, gaping wounds uh, beside you in the commissary. It didn't do a lot for the appetite, but it was, uh, it was just so much fun. I still am a sucker for any time I see a, a crew shooting, I just have to get as close as I can. <laughs> so you're you're in the office you're reading through scripts you're doing a lot of homework you're breaking them down um i think a, a lot of people don't realize the level of work that goes into getting a script approved and then uh once you get a, a script the interest in a script the the actual collaboration process with the production company at that point, and then, the, and then the rewrites that happen, and then everything else that goes through it. It's a it's a long process to get a script to the point where it's even ready to go out to hopefully get financing for. You know, yeah, there are so many drafts that happen of a script. I I remember, uh, I, I, so I was in the script department for fourteen years, and eventually managed that department before. Uh, my wife, Kathy, and I, who's my writing partner, sold our first screenplay, started getting studio assignments. I remember getting uh, called to the home in Bel Air of the producer of <laughs> something we wrote for Paramount. And uh, the butler let us in. And I thought, <laughs> I am in a different world. Uh, you know, to have a guy who just fluffs the pillows on the couch each time you stand up. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, this producer's partner said, well, you got called to the house after um, after the first draft. That must have been a good draft. And, and then he said something that was so important for me to hear. Um, he said, there will be many more after this. And that is just the process. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I actually love the title of your podcast. You have to be in love with the process, <laughs> not just with the result, because you don't spend most of your time with the result. You met, spend most of your time doing the work. And that's the process. It's a fantastic process, sometimes so frustrating. Yep. Uh, when there are this many steps in a process, often the process breaks down and the movie never gets made. The script never gets produced. That can create a terrible sense of futility. Yeah. And I, I really think that is 
probably the biggest challenge for those of us who do this work is to keep going in the yeah. face of those disappointments. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they hit you hard, man. They hit you hard. It's, it's such a bipolar industry. And I've said this on the show multiple times, but there are times that you'll get a phone call. Like I've got phone calls from the agents who are just applauding. <laughs> they're on the other end of the phone and they're clapping and we've done it. It's great. Everything's great. And I'm like, where's the contract? And then they have the phone. And then two hours later, they call back and go, it all went away. It disappeared. And it's, it's that sort of bipolar. And when I started in this business, you know, very sort of fresh and new, I was, you know, you get that phone call and go, this company wants to work with you. And you're like, fuck, this is it. This is it. You know, you're excited. You're you're in. And then it just slows down or you get that rejection. And then you're like, oh, God, is it because my work sucks? And you have to remind yourself that there are, like you said, all these different stages and steps that are involved. And it isn't just how good you are. It's not necessarily all about your skill. I mean, initially, your skill is judged, but then it runs through the gamut of taste uh, through, uh, you know, st business strategy, through what's happening in the environment and the world currently. All these things uh, will come in and just completely knock your feet out from underneath you. Um, yeah, it, it comes down to uh, what director is available and does the director's schedule match the actor's schedule often. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so many things beyond your control. I, I've had more than one occasion where, you know, the money is in escrow for this film or <laughs> the, the wire transfer is, is happening. And I always thought of those things as kind of instantaneous, but it's sometimes that wire transfer takes months and months and then it never actually arrives. <laughs> so it, it really is a question of, yeah, when the check clears my account, then I know it's real. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at too. It's where I'm at too, where it's like, all right, check that account. Um, nope, we're not going yet. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. How do you, how do you pick what what were the skills that you learned to pick yourself up and to keep pushing forward because it's very it's very hard for a lot of people oh man uh I, it, well one thing i'll say is i've been doing this for a few decades and it's still hard for me yeah. uh, it's still hard you know to push uh, click send on an email when i'm sending out uh, some of my work that i know is now going to be judged and either is going to move forward or will die that slow silent sort of withering death Those, of, that's of the silence worst. <laughs> that's um, the worst. i i have i think i've learned to give myself 24 hours to just feel the disappointment mm -hmm. and then i i just keep asking myself do you still want to do this Mm. And so far, my answer has always been, yeah, I still want to do this. And, you know, over my career, I've had enough yeses. I've had enough things hit the screen or books get published that it, it provides me both encouragement and also that validation that uh, sometimes I am doing something right. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you look at our list of credits on IMDb or our, our resume or something, you know, we list all of those 
successes, but you know, do the math and you start seeing that there are these long stretches <laughs> that happen between those things that we don't really talk about, but we probably should because otherwise everyone else who experiences those droughts, those desert times, uh, thinks there's something wrong with them and that they're the only ones. And the truth is uh, we all struggle, 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 and once in a while, things come together in a good way for us. But that's after we kind of pick ourselves up again and again and keep going. Yeah, I completely agree, man. And from uh, my perspective as a director, and then coming from the commercial world, it's the same thing. Like, I may have done, you know, five, like, if it was a good year, I'd do five big commercials in a year. And folks would see that from the outside and go, wow, like he very successfully did five like large commercials. That's amazing. It's like, yeah, but I also wrote treatments and pitches for 65 <laughs> commercials that year. And so when you're when you're looking <laughs> at the range of it, you're like, I was turned down <laughs> 60 times that year. And with hard work, very hard work. And and that is the job more than directing is the job. The job is the selling, the pitching, the idea creation, the uh, the process of rejection and putting yourself healthily through rejection. Hopefully, um, that that's that's the process of of the of the work. I think if I, if I as I call myself a director for what the past twenty years, I think I direct about five percent of that time. And, and, and yes. that is the, the part that is in the spotlight. That's the part that everybody looks at and goes, wow, it must be a great fucking gig. It's like, no, most of the gig is people beating on me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> telling you, you what you it? did wrong and how you disappointed them or how they're going to hire somebody <laughs> other than you. Yes, <laughs> very much so, man. And my one, my best friend, and he's my writing partner, he's been writing our, our features and he also works in the business. And I continue to tell him, I'm like, I don't know how you survive as a screenwriter because it's brutalizing. Like there, there's this sense of you're creating an entire world from scratch, right? So you have this idea, you build this idea, you build these characters, you put all this stuff together. And I've been in rooms where people just sort of breeze through all that hard work, months and months of work and just passively go, why don't we change this? And <laughs> without the consequences of any of it. And I go, man, I don't know how you do it, man. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> you're getting beaten up consistently from folks yeah and and to do that work properly you have to put your heart into everyone there's no mm -hmm. way to protect yourself emotionally from that uh you nobody else is going to care about these characters or about this story if you don't care and so you're putting your heart on the line <laughs> with with every one of those and sometimes uh, I, I went through a stretch where I got hired on three projects in a row that I pitched. But then I also went through a year where I did what you described. You know, it's mm -hmm. uh, 65 of those. Now, it takes me longer, so <laughs> yeah. I can't do 65 in a year. But it's, you know, a lot of putting your heart into a story, going out and pitching it, which is sitting in a room with grown-ups and telling them a story, knowing that the best storytellers in the world were in the room in front of you 
and are coming into the room after you. And you've got to move them. You've got to surprise them. You've got to make them believe that the story you're telling them is the one that is going to be a hit and is not going to get them fired. Mm-hmm. And that's the way you get a job. That's an important point. Is not going to get them fired. That's a big portion of it. It, it, because they're putting their neck out on the line for their bosses. And at the end of the day, this stuff costs so much money to do. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to is that you need millions of dollars to do most of this. Uh, and so convincing someone to reach into their wallet, you know, you ha- it really does come down to that first page, doesn't it? It's so much of the first impression uh, well, all of the first impression comes off that first page, but the first impression is so important. And then it certainly matters uh, all the rest of the pages. You have to follow up on the promise of that. But, you know, if if you walk through a production office, uh, you'll see stacks and stacks of scripts. And those are the ones that made it through the door. Those are the ones that they've hung on to. Uh, They have filtered out so many. And you have to set yourself apart, make that professional first impression, and, and say, you need to be more afraid to ignore me than to pay attention to me. Yeah. Eventually, that, that executive that I am pitching to has to say, don't move. I'm going to go down the hall and pitch this now to my boss and get you the job. That's what you are trying to uh, push somebody to do. And the ultimate compliment is not for somebody to say, hey, yeah, that was pretty good. You know, you filled up all the pages with words. Uh, <laughs> that must have taken a long time. Uh, it's, I am going to put myself on the line to do something to help move this project forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few times where I felt that and you're just like, Oh, this is real. <laughs> yes. You know, when that stress is there, you're like, okay, this is real. All right. This is cool. Yeah. 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 It's wild, man. Okay. So let's go back to you. So you, you're working in the script, in the, uh, in the script department and where do you go from there? Like, do you, start writing your own material and are you submitting your own material through it or or do you just sort of progress to a different place? Well, so uh, yes, I was writing uh, along with my wife all through those years and, you know, we had close calls. We had a friend who got a, a, sh- a show runner who got a show on the network and, um, he called us and he said, this is your golden hour, you know, write me a, write me a one hour spec. And Mm -hmm. so it looked like, Hey, we're going to get hired on this great new show. And then he got fired off his own show uh, through a (laughs) dispute with the star who had Uh, more juice than he did. And so then that was over. And then we partnered up with, uh, couple of guys who were very well placed uh, went on to win an Oscar uh, editing and they wanted to be producers. So we wrote a screenplay for them, an action adventure thing. And um, then they decided they had a really good gig with this A-list <laughs> director that they they edited everything for and they weren't going to produce a movie. Ugh. So th- that sort of died. And then 
we wrote something that we just really cared about. We said, you know, forget writing action adventure films. We're just going to write this thing. Nobody will ever buy. <laughs> and, um, uh, a friend of ours from London, a screenwriter was in town meeting with agents and managers. And he took that script around and when they said, do you have something for us to read? He said, well, no, you should read this thing written by the Rileys. And that was the most um, generous thing yeah, it's that amazing. a person yeah. could do. Yeah. Uh, and so one day at my desk at Warner Brothers, I got a call from a manager who said, um, I just read your script and uh, I actually picked it up last night to put myself to sleep. And I couldn't put it down. I've been up all night waiting to call you. And that was something I had never heard before. Wow. So that was what then opened doors for us to start having meetings on studio projects. But that script also sold to a German producer. It got produced. And that's really what launched us into that next stage of being able to get paid uh, for doing this and get in the rooms with people who can actually bring those millions of dollars that it takes mm-hmm. to actually make the stuff that we're dreaming up. Okay. So <clears throat> here's an interesting point. So you got a call from this manager. This isn't a manager that you had, right? It was this just a random manager that happened to get his hand on your script. Yeah, yeah, it's somebody we had never met before, never heard of before. And we did you have a manager at that time and did this person become your manager? Uh we we were not represented at all at that time and so this person uh brought his boss to our first meeting, brought a contract to our first meeting and uh we ultimately signed uh with them and they became our managers and then they connected us uh, with United Talent Agency. And so yep. uh, we signed with them, got a Beverly Hills entertainment attorney. So we had the, you know, all those commissions that we got to pay, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's great to yeah. pay a percentage of something instead of keeping 100% of nothing. That's true. Okay. So I bring this up because there's a lot of folks that are firmly believe that what they need to do is find an, an agent and a manager in order to get their stuff seen, in order to get their stuff out there. And my argument has consistently been that agents and managers come find you when you have something that they find valuable. Like you going into a manager's office and saying, I'm a young screenplay writer. Da, 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 da. Your chances are pretty slim getting that guy to sign you or that woman to sign you. But uh, if you put work out there, and it's the same thing that happened with my stuff where I did a proof of concept short film that caught fire and they saw the fact that it was worth something and they came to me and said, hey, we'd like to manage you. We'd like to rep you based upon the work that other people are talking about. Not necessarily me going and shopping for an agent manager. Do you feel that you've uh, experienced the same kind of thing? I think that's exactly right. You know, if um, first you have to prove that you can do the work and do work that has value and work has value when it attracts eyeballs when mm-hmm. people uh people are excited about it and then yes people will recognize that a great time to get representation 
is when your work has attracted the attention of somebody who wants to option it or buy it or produce it. And when they're ready to make a deal, they say, well, are you represented? Who should I talk to? Mm -hmm. You say, well, I'm, you know, without shame, you can say, no, I'm not represented right now. Who do you recommend that I talk to? Mm -hmm. And for them, it's it's a great favor they can do to their favorite manager or agent to call them up and say, hey, I found this exciting young talent and uh, they're not represented. I, w- I want to make a deal with them. You should read them or you should look at their reel. And that's a much more interesting prospect for an agent or a manager uh, than, yes, somebody coming in off the street, which you can't even do anyway. You won't get past reception. <laughs> so, uh, you need what someone has called a proper introduction in this business. time to take a second and uh we're going to talk about some sponsors we're going to talk about some gear we're going to talk about some contests we're going to talk shop so uh you know sit down relax and enjoy uh the sponsor section (laughs) (laughs) of the podcast um i just want to say as we push into the holidays as we push into the new year um the show has been incredibly successful um, over uh, 2022. It's been our best year yet. And uh, I couldn't have done it without your help, the listener at home. Uh, everybody has been telling their friends about the podcast. We've been getting new listeners with every episode that we put up. Um, but do me a favor now. Is there somebody that you know that should be listening to the show that doesn't? Is there? I, I, know, I know you want it to be your own little secret. I know you want to keep it to yourself. I know you, you think that it's just going to be you and me. Uh, I'm here for you, but uh, your buddy probably needs it too. Your girlfriend might need some support, right? Maybe they'd find the show interesting. Tell them to listen to In Love With The Process. If you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, that is a great place to get started. I know it seems like a daunting task to go through 200 and something episodes. Do I start at number one? You probably should, but... Maybe not. Maybe you just want to listen to all the director's episodes. Maybe you're a screenwriter that is a 100% hyper-focused, tunnel vision focus on screenwriting. I have screenwriter episodes up there as well. Maybe you don't want to talk about the film business at all. You just like to hear my voice. You want to talk about food. We got food episodes. We've got travel episodes. We got everything. All right. So inlovewiththeprocess.com is the place to go. And that website wouldn't exist without the help of our friends at Puget Systems. And without Puget Systems' help... I wouldn't be able to cut these crazy new pieces that I'm doing right now. Stuff that is shot super high resolution that requires insane CPU strength, really awesome graphics cards, um, and then, you know, high speed drives. That seems to be the big thing right now is that a lot of these formats are, are huge in file size. And so SSD, solid state drives is the way to go because uh, it's able to keep up with the large amounts of data that need to be real time when you're video editing or even if you're doing photo work, right? Photo processing and everything else. And I I can tell you right now, um, my laptop is out of date. My old systems were out of date. And uh, I didn't want to go back into debt with Apple. 
I don't care. I'll say their name. I didn't want to go out of debt with, I don't want to go back into debt with Apple at all. Uh, I was done with them. I wanted to go into a place where what I was building uh, was specifically tuned to what I need that could be upgraded, that had real customer support. And I wasn't just talking to some bot somewhere from some giant co company. Um, so I wanted to build PCs, go back to the PC world. And why not be on a PC, right? PCs got a bad rep because Windows sucked for a long time, right? There was a whole lot of blue screens of death back in the late 90s maybe even in the early 2000s so it really it really gave us a bad rep since then it's become stable since then it's the same sort of operating system that mac uses but it gives you a lot more access to things which i like being a tinkerer um, but beyond that um, all the programs that we use work on both operating systems so what difference does it make if i can build the pc cheaper more powerful more in tune to what i need then that's what i'm going to do I want control. I just talked to my therapist. I want control over my stuff. I don't want a company telling me what to do. That is one of the biggest fucking triggers I have. And that may have something to do with being Generation X, right? Because we came up like not trusting anything. Who this, who's this guy? What's he selling us? What's going on? It's that East Coaster in me. What's this guy want? It's funny. Gene and I were driving through um, Echo Park the other day. Well, right over near the... the uh, the park there right so we're driving through and uh you know the place with the swan boats and all that so we're driving through there and there's this guy on the side of the road and he's got a little cardboard thing that he's spinning around he's got a smiley face going you know and i'm like what's this guy selling <laughs> that's, that's immediately where i go what's this guy selling and his sign just says have a nice day and i'm like what's his fucking problem right that's how my brain that's how my brain works what's this guy's Where's the fucking trap door? What's he doing? Is he leading people to their death? Like, who's standing on the side of the road with a sign like this? Who's got the time to be like, have a nice fucking day? Who is this guy? That is my mentality with everything. <laughs> I'm working on it, but it's healthy when it comes to companies. Because at the end of the day, companies are manipulating us. All of us. It's all. Everything's a marketing scheme. Everything is a sales pitch. And so what I've tried to do with this podcast is I've hunted the companies down myself. I've convinced the companies to come uh, be a part of our show. So it's not like these companies are coming selling shit to me. I've reached out to them because I use their products and I think their products are useful to you. And with Puget Systems, I hunted down this small company, smaller company, um, in uh, Northern West Coast. I think they're up in Washington uh, that build PCs. They put them together. They, they get all of the hardware and they build these things. They benchmark test all this gear. They're not manufacturing hardware. They're not selling me. They don't have a warehouse full of shit that they got to get out. They're custom building these things from competitive hardware manufacturers out there. That is what you want, right? Because you're getting competitive prices. You're getting the best pieces of equipment. They have no sort of allegiances. They have allegiances to you. PugetSystems.com. Go there now if you want to build a new computer. It's Watch how different the experience is. Watch how involved with the experience you are. They literally send you a binder, and I've said this on other shows, that has the tech specs for everything they put together, but also pictures and uh, Instagram accounts of each individual that put these things in your machine. So you meet and know the people that build your machines. How nuts is that? 
they actually do predator vision on your machines. They actually put it through these heat scopes where they can see where the heat is in the machine and how uh, how great the, the fan dissipation is and all that stuff. It's fucking rad, man. You don't get that stuff from the more expensive places. It's a one-of-a-kind experience. If you're going to build yourself a PC, do it now. Go to PugetSystems.com. Also supporting the show are our friends over at Jambox.io. If you are creating content and you need music for that content, make sure you're getting licensed music. Make sure you're not just using uh, the new Jay-Z song, right? Because you're going to get fucking sued. And you're not going to be able to use that on Instagram. They're going to pull it down immediately. You're not going to be able to use that on YouTube. They're going to pull it down immediately, right? Uh, Copyright issues. I just had to file a copyright issue for 12KM. There's a thing going around right now with a bunch of people that are watching 12KM in other countries. I won't say specifically where, but they're like, oh, we'll just fucking steal this and we'll put it up for free on YouTube, right? I had to go through the long process of, of filing a copyright complaint on YouTube, which they make it pretty fucking difficult to do, by the way. Went through the process of doing that and had my stuff taken down, right? That's what record labels do. There's entire departments at record labels that are in charge of that stuff. There are algorithms that record labels have written that will notice whether or not you use the new Metallica track without paying for it in your pieces. So don't even get started with that. Don't try to cut it with that. If you don't have access to it, you can't afford to pay for it. Why would you design an entire piece around a song that you won't be able to post, right? Go to jambox.io and listen to their library of music. It's really fucking good. I played it on the show. Listen to their stuff today. Have that stuff inspire your work because at the end of the day, all it's going to cost you is maybe $19.99 a month for the for the uh, uh, the corporate version of it. Hold on. Let me look at these prices again. Make sure everything's on point. Yeah. Unlimited commercials, $19.99 a month. Why would you not design a piece with a really amazing track for that price for a corporate client? And if you're doing stuff for your podcast or uh, film festivals, $9.99 a month with a 30-day free trial. You know what I'm saying? 30-day free trial. You could probably get the song for free. Jambox.io is the place to go. Love these guys. And if you do it during December, use our promo code ILWP25. ILWP25. We're the only place giving you 25% off. It helps them know that we're sending you as well. All right? Telling you, jambox.io. I don't know how else to say it. I don't know how else to say it. It's going to change your work. Just sign up for it. Telling you, it's cheaper than most of your other subscription things. Unreal. Uh, Anyway, who else is on my list? Ah, yes, Boca. Boca Rentals. I'm going to head over to the website right now because I want to be specific. Um, You've heard me talk about this since the beginning of the show. I don't believe in purchasing big pieces of equipment. I don't believe in becoming indebted to gear. I believe wholeheartedly in forming solid relationships with rental houses. Why? Because you get access to every new piece of equipment that's on the marketplace. You have clients and producers that are constantly reading the trades, that are uh, up on gear. They always want to pick up the newest, the hottest piece of equipment. If you invest in equipment, it ends up just sitting on a shelf at some point or you have to give it away for free, right? When you do jobs. I don't do that, man. I make deals with rental houses and my favorite rental house out here in Los Angeles 
is Boca Rentals. And I found them through their Instagram, uh, specifically because I was looking up what certain lenses looked like, right? Because I had to put together a shoot. So what would it look like if I was using the anamorphic hawks? Or what would it look like if I was using the Cook Rancheros? And so they had examples of that on their Instagram page, which is fucking fantastic. Or you can go to bocarentals.com and just look and drool over the stuff that they have. Their latest gear selections right now, they have the Area Alexa 35, which I haven't used yet. I've been using the LF, which I like, which I got from them. They have the Type uh, SK Primes. I don't know what those are. Those are interesting. What is this? Hold on. Let me click on this. I'm at bocarentals.com. Go there right now with me. Check it out. Type SK Primes. These spiracles? 25 millimeter, 35 millimeter. Ooh, they have a T16 on those. That's nice. Those look pretty fucking cool. I'll have to look, have to go to their Instagram and see what shot with it. That's interesting. They have the Sony Venice 2 Cine Alta. I know Cruda loves that camera. Um, they have the Apollo Anamorphics. I want to shoot with these. I really do. And this is what's great. On Boca Rentals, you can scroll down and see examples of what shot with these. They actually show you the anamorphic flare tests for those of you nerds that are just getting anamorphics for the flares. Um, but uh, they also have lens tests. Ooh. Hold on a second. I'm going to click on this right now as we're talking. What is this? Man, see, these lenses are so sexy. They're gorgeous. See, this is what I love about Boca Rentals. They have all the best lenses, man. They really do. They really do. I'm just going to the website right now. Life in the large format are an extensive selection of large format production cameras and specialty vintage and modern commercial lenses provides the ultimate one-stop solution for your production. They are not shitting. They are correct. Their cinema lenses are amazing. These guys are fantastic. And I know there's a lot of young filmmakers out there that are like, ah, I'm afraid to do a rental house because I'm so young and I'm inexperienced. Dude, just go say hello. Write them an email. Hey, can I come by the shop? A lot of times these guys do uh, events. We'll try to keep you guys up to date when they do events. Go meet the folks. They love to work with independent filmmakers and they love to work with young cinematographers. Make a relationship with a rental house. And if you're in Los Angeles, I would definitely do Boca Rentals. All right? Go to BocaRentals.com and check it out. Uh, let's see. Who else do we got? Fujifilm. Our boys over at Fujifilm. I'm excited to go into the new year with these guys. Uh, we had a successful contest. We gave away the uh, their amazing camera. Uh, and there's so much more coming from Fujifilm. You've heard me talk a hundred times about how these guys support, how they care about filmmakers. If you go to Fujifilm-X.com or do Fujifilm-X on Instagram, uh, look at what these guys are making right now. Um, their X-series cameras we have, the GFX system cameras we have, uh, the GFX 100 is what Gene has been shooting a lot of the large format stuff with. It's great. It's a fantastic camera that is really great for low light scenarios. Uh, we're actually hopefully going to get this job. She's prepping for a job right now, which requires her to shoot for billboards for Times Square and buses 
and uh, I think we're going to be shooting it with the GFX camera. Um, hopefully we get the gig. Fingers fucking crossed. Uh, but we're so excited to be working with Fujifilm. We love the lenses. We love the rigs. It is the place to go for photo and video solutions. And these guys love filmmakers. Are you seeing a trend here with my sponsors? They love filmmakers and I love to support us. So check them out. Fujifilm. Love them. Thanks for supporting the show, guys. Uh, finally, Indie Pro, our current contest right now is from the team at Indie Pro. IndieProTools.com is the place to go for your power needs, for your camera power needs, your accessory power needs. You want to run all of your accessories off of one easily charged, long-lasting battery that you can just mount on a plate on the back of your camera, run your camera, run your monitors. Their uh, batteries work with all the major brands, Blackmagic, Canon, um, all the way down the line, Sony. Um, they're great, great power solution people. That's why I found them. That's how I got them involved with the show. I use all Indie Pro batteries to power my Blackmagic 6K Pro camera. I have them powering our uh, small HD uh, client monitors, my onboard monitors. Uh, and what here's the thing. What I love about them is that the char they charge really fucking quick. So all you really need is a handful of batteries on set, right? You get five or six batteries. You're just running through them. You slap them right on a simple charger, and uh, you never have to worry about power all day. Don't have to worry about power. It's the worst when you have batteries that are dropping out too quick. I started my career as a camera operator in this business, and it used to drive me nuts having batteries that wouldn't charge fast enough. And they're lightweight now, which is really cool, right? Now that you have to put the camera on your shoulder, I mean, how many chiropractic visits have I had to do because of the old bricks on older cameras? So IndieProTools.com, place to go. And we're doing a contest with Indie Pro Tools right now. If you go to my Instagram page, you'll see the post. I have to tag that post, put it up on top. Um, we're going to choose a winner. Uh... January, beginning of January, we'll choose a winner for this. We're giving away a 2X Micro Series V-mount um, Li-Ion batteries and a dual charger unit. So you'll get two batteries, uh, these lithium-ion batteries, and you'll get the charger unit for free from us. The price for it is normally 614 bucks. Not a bad deal. All you got to do is go to my Instagram account, post underneath the picture. Hey, I want to win these batteries. Then go to Indie Pro Tools Instagram page and underneath any of their posts, just post there. Hey, man, we appreciate you sponsoring them up with the process. Tag Mike Petchy in that so I can see it and you're good to go. If you do those two steps, you are entered to win. We will randomly pull a winner early January for this battery set. IndieProTools.com is the place to go. There it is. All right, let's get back to it. with me as we sort of get down this 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 hole here because uh, this is what this is what everybody wants to know about you know what i mean this is 
this is everybody's always looking for a formula uh, to make this business work for them, and there is no fucking formula. So it's always interesting to hear these stories, and and I think we should just highlight the fact that you were taking as many advantages as you could with with friends and folks that were getting opportunities to do things and you were taking chances and doing a lot of work and and i'm sure you wrote drafts of scripts that just went nowhere uh which could i'm sure was discouraging to hear that hey guess what we're going to go back to editing we're not going to make movies we're not going to do this but um you were st- you were putting your eggs out in the baskets that people could carry into the right rooms um, that's very smart as opposed to just being someone that's just cold, you know, living in, uh, you know, Iowa, you know, sending scripts out unsolicited to different folks and trying to get that done. It really does come down to interpersonal relationships and people that you meet and people that you hang out with and people that you become friends with that will take the chance. I mean, your friend that was going around doing meetings, that's selfless of him. To say, hey, read the script from these other two fucking folks. That's that's a you never hear of that. That is such a great no, person. Never heard, that does that. I've never heard that story again. Uh, that certainly can't be a formula. But it uh, and I agree with you. There is no formula. But you you hear patterns in people's stories, and they always include what you're talking about, which is you're meeting people, you're out interacting with people. So that when you do the other necessary thing, which is you do some great work, mm-hmm. then yes, you've got a friend who can recommend to somebody that they know, this is something you should read. This is a director you should look at. This is an actor you should pay attention to. And you you do that enough times. It's like a baseball player getting enough at-bats. Mm-hmm. If you have the skill to hit that 98-mile-an-hour fastball, you get enough at-bats, you're eventually going to hit that thing. Mm-hmm. But you've got to have that skill, and then you've got to find a way to get some at-bats, not necessarily with with an agent or a manager, but just with somebody else in the business who knows other people in the business. And you end up getting to leverage their relationships, not in some kind of cynical mercenary mm-hmm. way where we're mm-hmm. using people but we're we're helping each other along well yeah i think it's important that you said that at the end of the day whether you are a screenwriter whether you're a director whether you're production is well, whoever the hell you are trying to get into this business the truth is that there's a select amount of 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 goods to go around <laughs> there's a select amount of resources to go around to make stuff and everybody wants to get into this business and the the biggest and the best skill that you can have besides being able to write uh, an amazing first page or besides being able to, you know, conjure up amazing visuals with cameras is interpersonal relationship skills. And to have the ability to be empathetic and open and honest and uh, caring and sharing with other individuals. Because... There's a notion, because our business beats the shit out of us consistently, so there's this notion of us closing down and becoming very closed off and cynical. I fight it every day, becoming callous and angry. That is a big portion of what the side effects of how abusive this business can be to us as creatives. Uh, And you just have to remind yourself that like, if you're an asshole to be around, if you're someone that no one wants to hang out with, then 
you're shooting yourself in the foot because that's that's the most reliable angle for you is to be friends with folks and to genuinely help and and make things with people. You have better chances of succeeding if you're doing that than if you're just this bitter person that's very talented but locked away and untrusting of everybody else. You know, completely. I mean, there are no matter how talented you are in this business, there are other people who are also really, really talented. And when it comes down to it, we are going to choose to work with people who we enjoy being in the room with because we work long hours and we Mm -hmm. do hard creative work where we've got all of these brilliant people with tons of ideas and there's a single vision that we have to arrive at we all have to make the same movie and that's that is hard and if you are not a person who plays well with others in that kind of pressure cooking or environment they probably will not invite you back to the party next time yeah, we say that all the time whenever we're putting together crews. It's like, who do we want to travel with? That's usually my question. It's not like, how good is that person? It's who do we want to travel with? And are they good at what they do? They are great. More importantly, who are we going to have beers with every night after we finish this up? And it, it it's a friend group thing, but it needs to be because it's such a stressful job. And you want to make sure that the environment is fun and creative and that these people have your back and uh, I mean, you've directed before, so you you know, you're putting together a team of people that you support, uh, that will support you and that you can support, you know? It's, yeah. And that for me, is, that was the greatest joy of directing was working with that team of people who, uh, who supported me in that way. And also then I was... Uh, I was so interested in knowing their ideas and supporting them and doing their specialty, whatever they were bringing to the table. I I sat in a uh, recording session with a vocalist for the soundtrack for uh, the short film I just finished, and I I can't sing, and yet (laughs) I you know I got to sit. And talk to her about, here's the emotion at this point. And here's how that emotion changes later. And then I just sat and listened to the beauty of her gift being expressed. That's fantastic. Yeah. To um, to be able to provide this kind of framework where all of these artists can bring their gifts and do their thing and to coordinate it so that it all comes together with that single unified vision and creates a, a meaningful experience for the audience. I agree. I agree. It's the best part of it. It's what the process is. And I hate, <laughs> I hate saying that on this podcast, but it's what the process is. It's, it, it, it is interacting with folks. It's meeting people. It's these people that are with you for the rest of your life, if you're lucky. And, um, you know, at the end of, at the end of it all, you're on your deathbed and you're looking back and, um, and you're looking at these pillars, right? You're looking at these pillars of your life and going, that's when we did this and that's when we did that. But those aren't are what, what are important. It's everything that's in between. It's what you were doing in between, how you were hanging out with these folks and what these human relationships mean to you. And uh, not only does it nourish you as a person, at least it does with me, but uh, also it inspires you as a storyteller. And if that's our job, right, is to convey 
what we've experienced in our life or what we've seen other folks experience in our life and how do we, you know, uh, treat and get an audience to feel like, you know, they're falling in love in a room with just a a screen on the wall, you know? So yeah, it is what is for me so compelling about storytelling in general, but film in particular, Uh, we get to see that we're not the only ones who feel the things we feel, suffer the way Mm -hmm. we suffer. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get to know these characters often better than we know the actual people uh, Mm -hmm. in our lives. So story can be such a great gift uh, to the audience. It has been for me. It helps. I think it helps us when we see characters, people who have different life experiences than us. We have more compassion for them you know it's harder to uh, to hate somebody when you know their story and <laughs> then very true. you know as you say uh there are then all of these experiences we have with the actual humans that we worked with on set uh or you know i sit in story meetings with people who uh have these wonderful skills in storytelling producing uh that's that is a joy for me even though sometimes you know the work is hard and frustrating uh, mm-hmm. i don't love i don't love getting notes even if the notes are smart <laughs> and make the thing better it's it's still somebody saying yeah this is not good enough it needs to change go back and and write me more pages but again that's that's the work I've chosen. Uh, and so to be able to get to be working with other people who are dedicated to doing the very best work we can do. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, you know, it's better than digging holes in the ground. It's true. It's very true, man. It, 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 it you know, I don't mind getting notes now. I think that they're when, when you've done enough directing and you understand that, the movie's not done. <laughs> it's just not finished until you run it out for the final time. And even then you're just like, fuck, if I had just like five more, but it's never finished. And so there's a sense of comfort in that for me, where knowing that an idea that I had a year and a half ago, which, which may have been half baked then, I still get all this time to try to figure it out. And, I, and there are so many different stages in which it can be shaped and of course you want to shape it as best you can with the script stage and then you get the notes on the script but then when you're on set it changes then right so then the the dialogue sounds different as it comes out of the actor and that starts to change and then suddenly you're like oh wow the actor did this thing i'm going to change this whole sequence because that's more interesting and then you get into the edit room and you're staring at these clips and some bins, you know, and you're like, wow, dude, is that all we fucking shot? And then you're going through the process of shaping and retelling the story there. So there's a comfort, I feel, with that. And so I, I enjoy getting notes to a certain extent because then I feel like it's helping push forward and uh, hopefully if they're positive notes, helping push forward and guiding the the transformation of this story, you know? Y- Yes, I, I, 
I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in embracing notes and, you know, there's a part of my brain that knows that. And so I, <laughs> um, I, 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 I grab onto them, but, um, then there's the other part of me that's the little kid who <laughs> is just going, Oh, how, you know, I, am I terrible at this? Right. And right. I, I, I worked with, I worked with a, uh, a producer at Paramount who's produced 60 films. Wow. And he can be uh, really blunt with his notes. Uh, I've got a page where he wrote beside a line of dialogue, this line makes me want to die. Oh, my God. And, and I thought, okay, well, that's clear. We'll change that line. But uh, there was another time where he just kind of stopped in the middle of a meeting and he looked at, at me and my wife, Kathy, and he said, you know, I love you guys, right? I love your writing. That's why I keep working with you. Yeah. Well, so that's a, that's a context for notes. And so I don't, that answers that little kid question. Yes. Um, and then it becomes just about notes to make the movie better. And that's really <laughs> what we're trying to do. And a movie is a compilation of hundreds and probably thousands of good ideas. They don't all have to come from me. And in fact, they can't. They, they, I have to be open to notes and to ideas from other people as a writer. And then as a director, man, you are you yes. know, broadening that team out and you've got a much wider kind of source of great ideas. And if you're too brittle or insecure to mm -hmm. open yourself up to that you're not doing yourself or your movie any favors mm -hmm. and really it's just that insecurity right you know because uh, i think a theme at least over this past year on our show a theme that so many folks have had is the imposter syndrome right so it's yes. it, it's it's getting into a place where you're like, do, do I what did I do to earn this? <laughs> right. You know, have you ever felt that? Uh, yeah. Have I have I ever not felt it, man? My first <laughs> 14 years at Warner Brothers, you know, I had this decal on my car that allowed me to drive right through the gate. You know, wave at the guard. It's crazy. And eventually, I had a. Um, sign outside the front door of the building with my name on it and a, uh, my parking spot but still i thought any minute now security is going to figure it out and yep. they are going to realize i don't belong here and they're going to toss me out when i was on set the first day directing um and i i yelled action i like i got choked up mm. and, Partly because it was something I had wanted to do for so long, but also because I was having to push against the sense of why am I the one person on this set who gets <laughs> to make the decisions and, you know, to yell action and to yell cut and to decide if we're moving on or not that it, um, you know, there are a lot of other really smart, talented people here so i i think it i love that imposter syndrome now has a name yes and it helps us understand that we are not the only one who feels that way really i i haven't encountered anybody who doesn't except maybe for somebody who is probably dangerous and should yes. not be anywhere near a movie set yeah yeah because then they're 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 essentially throwing a blanket over it with ego 
you know. So, like, everybody handles insecurity in different ways. And I think the the most healthy way to be, at least from my experience, and I've, I've been successful at this and I've failed at this, but I think the, the, the most healthy way to do it is to embrace help and to, and to be able to look at and cast the crew, cast the, the people around you that will support you and be able to say to them, like, guys, I don't know what I'm doing right here, so... Can you guys help me out? <laughs> There's something really nice about being able to to trust in that and letting everybody understand that, look, you are humble. You don't have all the answers, but I can make decisions and I can make firm decisions and I have a vision that will make, that will make you feel like you're not just tossing ideas into the void. Like I can help shape that stuff. But, um, and without going too far off on a tangent, it's fascinating because you need to have a sense of ego when you're selling yourself. So when you're going into rooms and you're pitching people and you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, I can do that. You need to have that sense of ego there, but then you have to shed that ego instantly as you go through the process of making something, you know? Yeah. That's such a paradox because I agree with you. You, uh, you have to, in order to do this work, you have to sell your ability to deliver. Mm -hmm. You also have to be confident that, um, well, what we're saying is everybody look over here, you know, watch (laughs) this thing that I'm making. It's worth your time. Even though I know you've got streaming services filled with Mm-hmm. countless other things this is the one you should pay attention to right now so that takes a a certain kind of confidence a friend uh, once told me look it's um it's not pride to have confidence in the gift you were given yeah and so i i think that there's something to that. And then, yeah, what you said about, um, yeah, you turn around, you shed that ego and you can, you say, look, I'm good at what I'm good at. I am not a cinematographer. So you help me decide which lens we (laughs) ought to use right now. Uh, I, I want to know your recommendation and I want to know why I want to know what my options are. Uh, but I want to know what you recommend. Yeah, and I I don't want to dictate to actors. I I want to support actors, but I want them to bring their best gift. And you know, and if it's not supporting overall what we're doing, then I can give direction. But first, I want to get out of the way and see what what they're going to bring. We bring up a good point here because. At the end of the day, we're trying to build characters. We're trying to build people that don't don't exist more often than not. Maybe they're based on somebody, but more often than not, they don't exist. And they're often just sort of a collage or, uh, you know, a hodgepodge, like a hodgepodge of different emotions that you felt as the writer, different things that you've seen as the writer. And then all of those things get tossed to a human being through the director or through the writer. And then that person has to a be affected by what you've written and then b find the things that relate to them as a human being and their personal experiences. And then this strange process, this strange collaborative process 
then creates something new. And it's not what necessarily is 100% on the page, and it's not necessarily 100% what this actor's been through in their life, but it becomes this new thing, this new person, this new creation, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And you talked about how uh, in the process on set, uh, you change things because you see what the actor just did. And that that is that interaction between the actor and the character on the page. You want to be able to capitalize on the strength that an actor brings. And uh, as a writer, I would again be like working against my own interests if if I didn't want to capitalize on the opportunities that an actor presents or a location presents. It's like, oh, I didn't I didn't know uh, that there was going to be that baby grand piano sitting in the living room <laughs> where we're shooting. True. And that makes me think of, all right, well this this character was a little girl in this house. So did she, who's that piano for? Did she play that piano? Uh, That then finds its way into the character, sometimes into the dialogue and it, it enriches Um, this idea though, that writers, directors, and actors together build the same character is a fascinating idea to me. And uh, one that, strangely we don't talk about writers and actors don't talk to each other mm-hmm. uh, and and yet we together create that single character writers pass the baton uh, that was something i thought a lot about when kathy and i were writing our newest book the defining moment yeah how writers and actors build characters and we interviewed the actor tony hale to kind of find out how does he work with what's on the page and bring his acting chops to it? And we were, as we, we talked to a bunch of actors and we, we were looking for like, what is the common language? How do we support each other and help each other in this shared work? And that's, that's what we hoped to do in that book by pointing to those formative moments uh, that we call defining moments from a character's past that mm-hmm. that shape them, but then also the transformative moments that happen on screen that then change that character that that are these pivot points. Uh, and I think actors, directors, writers, cinematographers, composers, editors all need to recognize, mm-hmm. oh, this is this is the moment, you know, when Michael Corleone goes into that bathroom, to mm-hmm. get the gun before he goes out and for the first time commits murder. That is the moment that defines him, that redefines him from the law-abiding war hero and puts him on a path to become the crime lord, to become mm-hmm. the next godfather. Everything mm-hmm. that follows flows from that moment. And obviously, production design, score, editing, directing, writing, acting, all understood what was happening in that bathroom. And the whole idea of Michael walking through three sets of doors on his way back into that restaurant, it's all about passing a threshold, going through a door, doing something you cannot undo once you've done it. Mm. But that's a production design thing. 
So all of us are together telling the story. And in that case, everybody was telling the same story. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So was there, um, I mean, is there any examples of, of specific like uh, defining moments that uh, would show up regularly when you were having these conversations with actors? Is there any sort of specific thing that you were seeing? Mostly it had to do with process, the process of them tapping into their own defining moments and finding uh, connection points. And Tony Hale talked about a an experience he had voicing a character uh, for an animated film. And he said he was tapping into something from his own childhood, a painful Mm. experience. And he said, you could feel it in the booth that things changed, that everyone could hear it. And, And he said, I don't know why I don't do this all the time, except that there's an emotional cost to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. That's fascinating. Okay. So he had to dig into his own well of emotions to find the thing to connect with, right? So was there a parallel between those defining moments for him or is he just looking for how he felt when he felt that defining moment is the question. Well, so I, th- I think that there are parallels and I think there are, are kind of categories of moments that define us. There are, there are moments when we suffer a loss or we're wounded mm-hmm. and we all, we all have that. And those are things that show up in characters. We, we often talk about a character arc. How does the character need to grow and change? And what I'm advocating is let's take a step back and say, if the character's flawed or wounded or broken, how did they get that way? What mm. is that moment? And how do I connect that with something in my own life? Or there are, there are moments that define us that are moments of, of growth or healing. And those are often moments that show up on screen. And I have to ask, have I ever experienced a moment of growth or healing? Yeah. What was that like? And that way, those moments can become credible rather than sort of uh, hallmarky and um, saccharine. I can look at like... If I want to do a scene about forgiveness, like have I ever actually forgiven someone who owed me, who really hurt me? And what did that cost? And it probably was more than just sweet words. It probably meant that I was going to be willing to bear the cost of what they did to me. Huh. Well, that's that's hard, and I don't see that very often on the screen. Once in a while, I do. I just saw it in the movie Mass, which is a 2021 film. Um, tough watch, but a beautifully made, uh, low-budget, independent feature. Won yeah. a bunch of awards. Um, I saw it in the film Philomena. Uh, but those things come from, I think going to the reality of our human experience and then modeling as a writer, I can model a scene based on something real I've experienced. An actor can model the emotion or they can, they can tap into the emotion of what's it really like to forgive? What's it really like to at the moment a dream is born, a dream that 
defines you to this day, decades later, maybe. Mm. Uh, those are so that th- those are the patterns I think of um, the the kinds of moments that define us, moments of birth and death, uh, either literal or figurative. Uh, those show up in story again and again, and uh, it's costly for us as storytellers as filmmakers to mm-hmm. delve into that stuff in our own past but if we'll do that and maybe write those things down then that constitutes that well from which we can draw uh, again and again the details will change but the emotional truth uh, really doesn't change very inspiring there's a lot of really interesting stuff here there's a lot of really interesting stuff here because as a director to hearing that, you know, it's the difference. I often find that when, you know, you're putting together a story, right? If you're, if you're breaking a story, there are all these rules that you have to, to, to sort of follow, right? Like, you know, rules about character arc, rules, rules about story structure. And there are all these, oftentimes when you're putting something together, when you start, there are there are all these tropes that you sort of have to go down the road with, right? This person needs to fall in love and lose this person. This is a story about loss. This is a story about discovery. These are all these things that we see a hundred fucking times in cinema. And so oftentimes when, when I'm breaking stories, th- those are the things that are least interesting to me. It's like, all right, I got to go through this fucking process in order to do this thing. So let's just plug these things in for now. Let's plug in this moment. Let's plug in that moment. Let's plug in this moment. And I think, you lose sight of the the actual personal connection that you have with those. Hopefully you get there when you're polishing the script or polishing the idea and you're really thinking about those. And then as a director, if I'm reading a script and I'm breaking down these moments and I'm understanding these moments, at the end of the day, when you look back on movies, I don't necessarily remember the plot. When I look back on my favorite films, I remember the moment. And there's a specific moment where a character did something that that I felt so strongly. And I am, you know, being an action film kid, I always go back to Bruce Willis pulling glass out of his feet, talking in a walkie-talkie in the bathroom. Like there's this sense that, that of loss. There's a sense of shame. There's a sense of regret that, that is so palpable in that moment that resonates for years from when I saw it when I was 13 years old, you know? And so I think what you're saying here is, is, is very important because how do we take these tropes that we have to put into these pieces, right? In order for it to fit specific formulas for, for pieces, right? For people to read, you know, is this a romantic comedy? Is this an action film? This by page 15, this needs to happen. There are all these rules that are out there. But beyond that, it's about these moments. And if you're, I think the most powerful thing that you said is that what you may want to, which I should do, what you may want to consider doing is when you feel something and you experience something, write it down. What were you feeling? What did you smell? What what were the the colors that you remember? What were the things that you saw? Because it seems like that book or that journal would become the most powerful thing in your arsenal as a storyteller. I think so, and I think that um, sometimes I'm tempted not to write things down because I think, oh, I'll remember that. But w- 
time yes. sort of dulls the sharp edges and often it's those sh- those ragged edges like that uh, glass that Bruce Willis is pulling out of his feet that's what's that's what's real that's what's emotional and that's what's memorable so um, yes write it down and I, I I do think the way you described it as a sensory kind of experience uh, what are the colors what do you smell what do you hear? What do you feel? Who's present? Uh, what do you fear? What do you hope? Think about all of the texture, all of those details, write it down, capture that. When you are having either a vivid memory or a vivid experience, uh, man, a, yeah. a vivid detail is priceless. And so yes. if you can uh, if you can capture that, you can then draw on it when you're going to help the rest of us to experience what you experienced in that moment. That's pretty cool, man. Like that's a that's a pretty I mean it, <laughs> one of the things in this business is you, you feel like you're in the background, at least with me, subconsciously I'm doing these things without thinking about doing these things. And then when you when we ta- have this conversation that we're having now, it just sort of reinstills like, hey, that thing that you were doing subconsciously, why don't you do that consciously? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, why don't you physically do it? Why don't you write it down? Why don't you do these things? Because there's been multiple times that I have looked at a script and been like, what is going on here? Like, what is it? Why is this important? Why is this interesting? And then you get lost in the game of like, well, maybe I can make this look good, you know? And then it's it's always like the the bullshit trimmings that we we go to first, you know? Like, you know, like, uh, well, what's the camera doing here? You know, and, and it, that's not important. What's important is like, you know, when I was broken up with, had that feel and and, and what was the what is the thing that haunts me the most about it? What's the visual that haunts me the most about that? Because I have a real personal connection to that. Maybe I can inject something similar to that in this scene so that at least I have a personal connection to what's being filmed here. And then that'll end up becoming uh, more colorful, more flourished, more interesting for me, which in by, as a byproduct will become more interesting to the audience. You know? Yeah, you're in, you're investing real care and that makes it possible for yeah the rest of the crew the actors to care ultimately for the audience to care and um yeah i am as vulnerable as the next person to to chase shiny objects and um you know the crane will fix it we'll just um you know (laughs) fling the camera around but but it of all the things in Die Hard, you know, there's some spectacle in Die Hard. Yeah. But but I agree. We remember this very human husband walking across broken glass. And it's that vulnerability, that humanity that we relate to. That's what we can we can bring. If we can bring it to Die Hard, we can bring it to any genre. Yeah. And it, uh, I, I, I think that we as human beings crave human connection. I mean, that's love is about human connection mm-hmm. and we, we get that in stories when they are told in, in a human way. So cool, man. I'm happy we talked. 
really, because there's, you know, every once in a while, there's like a rusty old door that's pulled open and you're like, hey, wait a minute, dude. <laughs> right. You should be thinking about that too. And you're like, yes, right. It's very refreshing. It's like like fresh air just got blown into a dusty old room with that bit. That was really good, dude. I really like oh, that. Oh, really, um, this has been such a pleasure to kind of set aside a lot of the stuff that, you know, most of our conversations are about business and deal making. Yeah. And it's like to, to talk about what's really at the heart of what we're doing and why we do it. That is, uh, that's a real joy to me. So thanks for that. Yeah, man. And, and, and this, I mean, we could get granular about deal making and all that stuff, but it's all on a, on a, on a, on a, bit by bit basis, right? Like the way one person makes a deal in the environment is going to change the next one. Who gives a shit about that? At the end of the day, it's like, do you have what it takes to be empathetic and, and to, and to be uh, willing to share your, your personal experiences with strangers? Are, are, are you willing to bear the weight of the rejection and have it not destroy you? And then, you know, are you willing to collaborate? You know, I, I think those are the most important aspects. Those are the things that any of you listening to the show, I mean, you should be hyper fucking focused on that stuff. I, I mean, that should be as 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 important as like learning, like how do I start a camera and how do I learn an edit system or, you know, like how do I, you know, work with actors? I mean, it, it all roots from that. Like, I think we hit the nail on the head with what we were saying before. Every decision you make is going to be based upon the emotion that you're trying to put into something that is based upon an emotion that you've had prior to this. So that, that should be the core thing that you're looking at, you know? Yeah, that that is the reason that we do this. It's the reason we put up with all of the disappointments and the doubts and the <laughs> imposter syndrome and you know and the bad notes, um, and um, that yeah, I feel like we what we've talked about today is the stuff that is the why. It's the reason we do it. And it uh, we don't always get this right, but uh, <laughs> this is this is what we're aiming for. Well, uh, Chris, I, I got to wrap. You and I could talk for another two hours. I, I, I really got to wrap this thing up. It's been really great chatting with you, man. And um, where can folks find your book? So the defining moment is the one that you're promoting now which I have on my nightstand and I have started looking and reading into it. I'm going to dig even deeper. Um, where can folks get your stuff? Well, so they can go to uh, the publisher's website. That's MWP, Michael Weesey productions.com. Mm -hmm. uh, they can, uh, I think there's um, uh, a lot of great books there and uh, also at Amazon. Okay, great. Well, uh, Chris, I really appreciate it, man. This has been a, a fantastic conversation. Well, I feel the same way. And thank you so much, Mike. Wow. Uh, great fucking episode. And, and let me be fully transparent. I was not expecting this episode to be as good as it was. Um, I hope you guys learned a lot. Um, I hope uh, that you found a lot of the stuff as it 
as as inspiring wow so hard for me to talk as inspiring as it was for me um and uh i'm not kidding i I wrote down a bunch of stuff i the bit that really stuck out with me was journaling moments and here's why if you guys know my my story about 12 cam my 12 cam is essentially based on uh, a real experience that happened to me with the head injury you've heard me talk about this and that was such a visceral experience that i actually wrote stuff down and i i made i made notes of things and audio recordings of what was happening to me and i told this story a lot i would tell the story a lot and a lot of it had shifted and shaped each time i told it but it was so vivid and visceral and i it, it inspired the best piece that i've ever done and it was just because i was noting what i was going through and what i was experiencing with this i should be doing that more i mean i just got into an argument this morning with gina we had an argument over something stupid and uh you know we walked out of it still in love and still happy but there were a lot of heated moments in that argument and how i felt and what i was looking at what she looked like to me when i was doing that i gotta write that down right there have been multiple times where I where I have had joyous moments, right? Why don't I write those down? And you're like, okay, well, what's that doing? I'm, I'm essentially putting together a toolbox, an arsenal of these things. So that way when you get a script, right? If you're a director for hire or if you're an actor, right? And I'm sure that this is something they teach you in acting classes and I just haven't done it. You're like, asshole, this is acting 101. But when you look at a script and you go uh you know he leaves the, he walks out on her after 14 years of a relationship and uh she cries <laughs> you know what i mean what does that mean what does that mean oh what was it like for me i remember what it was like with my last big breakup i remember what happened and how desperate I was to not acknowledge the fact that it was happening to me. Right? And I was trying to make, I was trying to impress this person. And what did I do? I thought that I'd, I'd cook a meal. I thought that I would make a meal. And I thought that meal would change everything. And I put everything into that meal. I remember what I did all day. I remember what it was like going to the store and picking out the right bird that we were going to cook. Or that I was going to cook. And running my head through all her favorite recipes and all her favorite things. I remember putting all that together, spending hours and hours cooking this meal and wanting to get it right, wanting to get the salt content right, wanting to get the flavors right, and and, and convincing myself in a crazy sort of manic way that if it just tasted the right way, then she wouldn't leave, right? So I went through this whole process of doing this and I presented the perfect meal. I couldn't have done it better. And I remember when I was making it, I was so proud of myself for being able to do it this way and be able to pull in all of what I knew of this person into this meal and what I knew of myself into this meal and having it be this blend of both people, both individuals all put together. And I remember like standing there and looking at this and, and, and being incredibly proud of this meal and then going to pick this person up, right? Getting together with them. And I remember when I picked them up, how they were acting and I was looking beyond that, right? I was looking beyond the awkward glances and the cold shoulders, right? 
I wasn't noticing that it was raining out. I wasn't noticing these things because I knew that I held the key to set to salvation. I knew that all I had to do was get that person there back into our home, back into that place and surprise them. I, I wasn't going to lead them on. I wanted the surprise. It was important that they experienced the full weight, the full emotional weight and joy that they got when they saw this meal, right? So I, I was ignoring everything else. I, I, I brought them in, brought her into the space. She saw it. And I remember vividly, vividly, not just what she said, but how she said it, which was, you cooked me a meal. Yeah. It's one of those moments, ma'am. Then she left. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, man. Right? Did you guys feel something there? Because I fucking just did again. God damn it. Um, but, yeah, that's it, man. Like, you should be making notes of that stuff. You know? There you go. Hope you guys enjoyed the new episode. And uh, as I said at the top end of this, happy holidays. Um, hope you guys are getting ready. I have to leave after I record today and go finish my Christmas shopping and get some more gifts. I'm so fucking far behind this year. But I can't wait, man. I can't wait to spend some time with friends. And uh, I'm happy that you all are here with me and have been spending time with me on the show. Thanks for listening, everyone. You know the deal, man. I'll be back. I'll be back here next Tuesday, all right? Have a good one. <laughs>